Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you all this morning. Uh, this is our third 815 service. I was telling the worship team this morning, it sure comes early, 815. So uh, thank you for coming out. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor, turn with me to John chapter 17, verse 9. I'm going to spend uh, this week and next week in John, okay, finishing up our Believe series. Uh, because of time, I've left a couple sermons on the table uh, that I hope to come back to at some point and finish up in John. Uh, but in uh, the following week, the 21st, I'm going to transition to a new series called Authentic, okay? And uh, one of our vision statement at Coastal Community Church is develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to kind of unpack with us uh, over a six-week series of what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ and uh, and. So that series is kind of coupled uh, with our small groups, and so next week we're actually going to have our small group sign up. Uh, it's a big part of our process here at Coastal to developing to be a follower of Christ. We think you have to live out in community with others, so uh, we want you to be in a small group. So if you're not in one, I pray this week you'll even begin thinking about it and praying about it. It's a six-week commitment, and uh, we'll have that sign up next week. We'd love for you to be in a small group with Coastal Community Church. Uh, when I was in seminary uh, a long, long time ago, uh, my my wife and I were driving to see uh, a, a Charlotte Eagle soccer match. And so my father-in-law is a professional soccer coach. He coaches the Charlotte Eagles, and they had a big game. It was a big playoff game. And so as we were traveling to this game, uh, my wife and I got into a theological debate. Now, I'm hesitant to bring this up because I'm afraid y'all are going to begin to take sides, and I'm not trying to take sides this morning. All right? We got in this theological debate. She goes, hey, we were kind of driving. She goes, hey, why don't you pray for the game tonight? Why don't you pray as we're driving? Why don't you pray for the Eagles to win? And I'm like, I, I don't think I can pray that prayer. I don't think God can. So I got into this, like, I don't think God cares who wins. You know, God's about something bigger than who wins. You know, he can, he's about bringing glory to his name, and he can bring glory to his name, win or lose. And she's like, no, I think God cares about, like, every jot and tittle, every hair on our head, and you should pray. And we had this discussion the whole way. I never prayed, all right? Had this discussion the whole way to the game. We get to this game, this playoff game. It's intense, uh, full 90 minutes, okay? It's a tie at the end of 90 minutes. So in soccer, they play over. Overtime. So they go into overtime. At the end of overtime, it's it's still tied. And so then this game goes to penalty kicks. Now, if you've never watched soccer, what happens is it's, it's a whole new set of rules, really, to determine the winner. What they do is they pick five guys, and one at a time, they line up uh, the player against the goalie with a free kick on goal. And so as the two teams in this intense playoff game are picking their five guys, there's this lady that's in the crowd that's kind of all of us that are Eagles fans are kind of standing together, felt like thousands, it was probably a hundred of us, I don't know. And there's this lady and she goes, hey, listen, why don't we pray right now for the Eagles to win? And my mother-in-law's there and she goes, hey, I know my son, he's in seminary, he's studying to be a pastor, he can pray. So all these eyes focus on me. And I'm embarrassed, I start blushing, my wife goes, he don't believe in praying for the team to win. And I put my head down in shame. And, and then this lady jumps in who she did believe in praying to win. And she, in her prayer, called legions of angels for the Eagles to win this game. And I felt like an idiot at that point, you know. And my theology changed from that day forward. So 
Uh, today, you know, we're actually focusing on a prayer. And if you remember, and I know it's been a couple weeks, two weeks ago, and by the way, Pastor Andrew just did an awesome job last week talking to us about the resurrection. And, and uh, But we're going to come back to the prayer. And if you remember, I've been doing this teaching in John from 13 to 17, and it's this teaching that Jesus did with his disciples between the Last Supper and his crucifixion. And we don't get this teaching in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We only get it in John. And so I've really parked here for much of the summer. And in John chapter 17 is really the longest recorded prayer of Jesus Christ. Well, I've entitled this the Lord's Prayer, the other one, okay? Because this is the longest recorded prayer of Christ. And he started the prayer by praying to his heavenly father about his ministry. Now in this next section, he transitions the prayer to praying over these 11 disciples. And so we're going to glean a couple truths this morning uh, out of this teaching of the Lord's Prayer. So check this out. John chapter 17. You can follow along in your handout uh, and hopefully follow along in your Bible in John chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus says this in his prayer. My prayer, very interesting, ready? My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. I want you to hear this. The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus' prayer here is very specific, isn't it? In fact, it's interesting. That's actually shocking if you think about it. Did you hear how Jesus started this prayer in this section? He's very clear about who he is praying for and who he's not praying for. First of all, he says, I'm not praying for the world. Now, uh, that takes me back as I read that, right? Jesus is like, I mean, I start asking questions like, does Jesus not care about the world? I mean, what, what's he doing here? And, I, and again, I think we have to read the prayer in context, right? I mean, of course, Jesus cares for the world. That's why he came. But the world's about to turn against him, right? I mean, in just a few short hours, he's going to be crucified. You have to remember, if you take you back to two weeks ago when I preached on this prayer, this is a handoff prayer. This is a prayer where the ministry, there's about to be a seismic shift in the ministry of Christ, and he's handing it off to these 11 guys who are then going to hand it off to other people, who are then going to hand it off to other people. And here we sit 2,000 years later with the truth of Christ because 11 guys turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And if you remember, I said, I called them two weeks ago, I called them 11 cowards, remember? Because in a few short hours, they're going to be scattered and cowardly. How is it that 11 guys who are cowards turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ? How'd that happen? That's why last week's sermon was so important. It happened because of the resurrection that changed 11 cowards. Like if a dead guy comes back to life, like I better take this stuff that he's prayed over us and he's taught us. I better take that stuff seriously. And so, of course, Jesus cares for the world. But in this instance, he is praying and with the understanding, I'm about to hand this ministry off to these 11 guys and I'm praying over them. That's what he's doing. And so Jesus' prayer, Christ's prayer, focuses on his followers, Okay. And this is, by the, by the way, it's the only time in, in that, that I know of in the Gospels where Jesus prays that his followers would bring glory to his name as opposed to his father's name. And I think the reason that that's the case is he's saying, I'm about to hand this ministry off, and these followers of mine in a few short weeks are to fulfill the great commission of making Jesus famous in every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. They're to fulfill the great commission. So he prays that these 11 guys would make his name famous throughout all the world, okay? Jesus' prayer is specific. Second thing about Jesus' prayer here, Jesus prays for those who are left behind. 
Jesus, so in other words, he's leaving these 11 guys behind. We already talked about this, kind of this seismic shift. John chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus goes on. He says, now I'm departing from the world. They're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given uh, given me your name. Now protect them. By the power of your name, and that's great. We just sang that song this morning, right? Your name, and there's great power in the name of God, and great power in the name of Christ. And so Jesus says, "Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united, just as we are." So he, these these eleven guys are left behind, and the first thing Jesus prays is uh, is the idea of protection over these eleven disciples. Why does he pray about the protection of these eleven disciples? Well, he prays about protection because the ministry that he's handing off is a difficult task. The ministry that he is handing off is a difficult task. The task that Jesus left these followers is not easy. It's a difficult task to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. There are very real enemies to the the person and work of Christ. I always say this. The New Testament is very clear about the the enemies of, of the kingdom, right? We, we fight against the world, which is the influences that kind of influence our thinking away from the truth of the scriptures. There's our own sin nature, which, which we battle with, Romans 7, until we get our glorified bodies. Okay, there's the world, there's the, what the Bible calls the flesh, and there's the devil. There's a literal kingdom against the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom headed by Satan and his followers, okay? And so we have very real enemies, and it's a difficult task to do ministry. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. In fact, I think part of the problem with the American church is when we are a part of the American church, Western culture church, we've kind of mixed the American dream with the church. That's why we church shop so quickly. If our feelings get hurt or whatever, we, we, we go to the church down the street. And we kind of move around easily and quickly. And so that we get something rather than the idea of I go to church, if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm a Christian, to give something, Amen. to give back. And so we, you know, we, we kind of think well, it should be easy. And I, as, as a Christian, now I'm a follower of Jesus, life should be easier. But Jesus prays protection over his followers in the name of his Father because ministry is difficult. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who was appointed to the ministry to the Gentiles, and he planted churches in Gentile nations, he he has a lot to say about ministry. Check this out in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says this. He says, this is why we, what? What's it say there? This is why we what? Work hard. That's why we work hard. This is why we continue to do what, church? I'm a follower of Jesus. Paul's a follower of Jesus. Hey, I'm planting. Like, man, I just want to, this is why this is so great all the time, planting churches, right? No, we, we work hard and we struggle. For our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people, particularly all who are believers, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes another letter. So uh, the letters to Timothy, and by the way, I'm, I'm praying about doing, taking us next year through 1 Timothy. All right? And this is a letter um, written uh, to this young pastor that he's invested in. So he's passing on the truth of the kingdom of Christ from one generation to the next. All right? And that's 1 Timothy. So in 2 Timothy, he writes this young pastor again. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's towards the end of his ministry. Paul's pretty certain he's about to, about to be killed for the faith. He says this. He says, but you should keep a clear mind, Timothy, in every situation. Don't be afraid of what? Suffering for the, for the Lord. 
work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry of God that God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Paul here is in the face of his death. He says, I've worked hard and my life is being poured out. He says, my life, so imagine your life is like a bowl of water, and you can go through life, and you can keep all the water in your life, or you can pour it out in ministry. And Paul says, my life is like an offering that's been poured out in service to the Lord. And church, I got to tell you something, and when I use the word ministry, by the way, and today's our ministry fair, and I'm going to kind of tie this all together at the end, okay? When I use the word ministry, at the root of the word ministry is service, okay? It means you serve God and you serve others. And when you serve God and others, I'm not talking about just like the pastor, you're, like, you're in ministry. That's what I like to call vocational ministry. There's some people that get to do vocational ministry, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear. Every single one of us is a minister of the gospel. We have a place to serve, and Paul says, and I, and I got to tell you, there are times when I'm ministering where my heart is empty and I feel like I don't have any more to give and I think man I'm done with this whole ministry thing and almost every time that happens God brings this verse to my mind Paul says your life is not yours to hoard and keep your life is an offering to be poured out in service to others and Paul says, I've come to the end of my life, man, I've served, I'm poured out. And the reason God, Jesus prays protection over his 11 disciples is because ministry is difficult. But our lives are an offering of service to God and to others to be poured out. And so, church, some of you here this morning are serving in this local church. And maybe you came in here this morning, man, and your heart was heavy, man. You're just empty and giving and giving and giving. I've got some encouragement for you. Your life is an offering to God to serve Christ and to help make Jesus famous in this community by serving in this local church. And I want to encourage you, even Paul Anderson, my life is an offering to be poured out. It's worship when we do ministry. And it is not easy, whether it's vocational or volunteer, we all serve, serve to glorify God, and it will be difficult. Um, this probably isn't helping Bethany, Annie, who's done a lot of hard work this week to get this ministry fair together. But if you sign up to do ministry, First of all, this prayer of protection applies to you. And secondly, you're signing up to give of yourself to glorify God and to serve others. It's a difficult task, but it's a high calling. There's no higher calling than to give to others. Jesus prays for protection. Secondly, he prays over these disciples is unity. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I'm going to come back to this next week, okay? Jesus prays for unity over the mission of these 11 disciples. These 11 disciples, and add in the Apostle Paul, uh, the idea of unity comes up over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. They understood the idea that they had to be unified in their mission to make Christ famous. As your pastor, there's nothing that makes me more nervous than disunity. There's nothing that makes me more nervous than a, than a person that runs around with a critical spirit and a disunifying spirit in our body. We have to be unified on the mission that Christ has given us. We're unified in developing authentic followers of Christ. We're unified in how we try to accomplish that. We're unified in our essentials. I'm going to talk more about that next week, okay? We're unified in our mission. And Jesus prays for unity over his 11 disciples. And then Jesus prays that his disciples would be filled with joy. Filled with joy. Filled with joy. Check out John 
17, verse 13. Now I'm coming to you. Jesus said, I'm coming to you. He's talking to his father. I mean, I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be what, church? Filled with joy. Now, if you remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, okay? Joy is not circumstantial. What is joy? Joy is different than happiness. What is joy? Remember, Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What is joy? Joy is forward-looking. Again, this is why last week's sermon was so important. This is why the snapshot of the risen Savior is so important. That's joy, forward-looking to what is coming. Joy is not in the here and now. Joy is clinging to promises. Joy is looking into what is to come. Joy is for the day when our faith becomes sight. Joy is understanding that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of my life and he's going to reward those who faithfully serve him. In fact, we just looked at a verse where the Apostle Paul was contemplating his own death in 2 Timothy. I left one verse out, okay, verse 8. Check this out. Why, why was Paul able to face his own death, handing off his ministry to young Timothy? Why was he able to face it with such joy? Here's why. Look at verse 8. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all those who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Joy is forward-looking. Is the journey difficult now? Yes, of course it is, but it's forward-looking. Hey, life is just this short little snippet of my existence, which goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I have this few short 70, if, if, you know, if you're healthy, maybe 80. If you're really healthy, maybe 90 years. And in the grand scheme of eternity, it's such a small time to pour out your life in offering to God to, to make Jesus Christ famous in ministry. And Paul says, man, I do that because I understand there's, a, there's a, a prize coming my way, a reward. And the resurrected body of Christ is just a glimpse, a snapshot of the great things to come our way. It's forward-looking. And so Jesus prays these things for his disciples. He prays for protection from the battle. He prays for unity. He prays for joy. Third thing Jesus prays for is this kind of this idea, this protect the disciples from the battle between his word and the influences of the world. His word and the influence of the world. John chapter 17, verse 14. Jesus goes on. He says, I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. You like that? I don't like that. Like, how, why can't we just become a Christian and go to heaven? All right? Like, I believe in Jesus. Boom! I'm in glory, right? This is the stinky part of the prayer, right? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Which, by the way, don't, I talked to you about three enemies of our faith, right? There's two of them, right? You've got the world and you got the evil one, Satan. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Church, um, much of the language of the Bible is kind of set at the backdrop of war. Like, I think, um, I think we think it's peacetime. 
Again, this is kind of Western culture merged in with Christianity, and we have to be really careful that we have to be careful of those influences. You know, we and I do this too. Like, how do I get through life? You know, really safe and soft and easy and comfortable. But the language of Scripture is like there's a spiritual battle going on, which we're engaged with, right? And 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 warriors like they don't, they're not worried about safe, soft, easy, and comfortable all the time. Like they're you know, and, and even you know, I, I love uh, the 23rd Psalm that our Good Shepherd prepares a table for their places of rest. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. There are places of rest in our journey. However, we have to remember there is a battle going on. There's an ongoing battle. And and we have to be exceedingly careful, church, that everything that goes on in our lives... I mean, you're bombarded. When you, when you turn on the internet, you turn on your computer, you watch TV, you go to the movies, there's advertisement, there, there's thoughts, there's worldviews being thrown at you, man. It's all about you. And get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. If you got that, you know, 2013 model, you really, really need the 2014 model. I mean, never be satisfied with the stuff you have. You got to have more and more. Consume, consume, consume. We have to be really careful that, that we're processing our life through the grid of the truths of God's word because the world will consume you. The world will, ne- will tell you never be satisfied where you are and certainly don't journey with faith and certainly don't give of yourself selflessly to others in service to God. The world is screaming at us that it's all about you. And so church, we build our lives on the word of God. And by the way, the Word of God's not a bully club. I think sometimes we use it as a bully club to walk through our culture and go, you know. And, and one of the things that I'm a huge believer in, I know many in this church are believers in, like the Holy Spirit is in charge of changing people. It's not my job. Now, the truth of God does that. It couples with the Holy Spirit, and we have to talk about the truth of God, but we do that sensitively. It's not a bully club. The truth of God goes out coupled by the Spirit of God changes hearts, all right, draws people to himself. So what's the purpose of the word of God? Well, John, uh, Jesus goes on to pray in John 17, 17. He says, make them holy by your, what, church? Okay, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the, what, truth. Which, by the way, I, I wish I had more time to unpack this. I don't this morning. Um, so I've got to wrap up here in about five minutes. But um, that's why the resurrection is so important. Again, I'm, I'm kind of pulling off Pastor Andrew's sermon last week, like, the reason we can trust Jesus' word about the word of God and why we know it's true is because a dead guy came back to life. That's, the, that's kind of the authentication that his words are true, and so we can trust them and we can build upon them. And by the way, Jesus acknowledged the Old Testament as the word of God. That's how we know that's the word of God. Does that make sense? That's why so much of this hinges on the resurrection of Christ, what he's about to do and go through and raise again. It authenticates all his teaching, right? And so he says, make them holy. What's the word holy mean, church? You're set apart. When you become a follower of Jesus, he says, you're, you're now holy. You're now set apart. You're set apart for other things. You're set apart to build on the truth. You're set apart to live in righteousness. You know, if you're single and you're dating someone and you're, you know, and, and you're pursuing purity, that's a good thing. Why? Because you're set apart. You're not supposed to do your dating relationship like everybody else. You're set apart to do it differently. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your money is to be used differently. Why? Because it's set apart. Your time, your free time, your entertainment time is set apart. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. If you give time and volunteer service to your local church, that's worship. Why? Because you're set apart. Your calendar is set apart as a follower of Christ to be different. 
and to make Jesus Christ famous, set apart by the word of God. Second thing he says is you were set apart to build our lives on the truth. The word of God is truth. It's why the world sets itself against the word of God. The evil one wants you to do things differently in the word of God. Why? Because it leads you to bondage. Remember, we looked at this in John 8. You'll know the truth, and the truth will do something for you. What? Sets you free, right? You got, if you build on the truth, you'll know freedom. If you choose not to, you'll be in bondage to your sin, to the world, to the devil. Jesus sets us free, and we build on his word, okay? Final thing is this, okay? Finally, Jesus prays over us. He prays protection. He prays for unity. He prays that our lives will be built on the truth of the word of God, okay? And finally, he prays uh, that... Um, they would make a difference on their mission, okay, the mission that he's given. John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, okay, this, is, this gets back, why didn't Jesus just pull us out of the world? When Jesus prayed, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to leave them here, why? Because he's got a mission for his disciples. He says, just as you, Father, sent me in the world, I'm sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth, Okay, Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin so that by grace through faith, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I've preached that sermon many times, okay? So that we stand in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. By grace through faith, the works of Christ are credited spiritually to our bank account, if you will. Okay, does that make sense? And so we're made holy by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, and I've said this before, and Pastor Andrew hinted at it last week. Whenever we say the person and work of Christ, we're talking about the life he lived, the sacrifice he made, and the resurrection. It's that whole thing, and that he's coming again one day, the person and work of Christ. We're set apart. And so we're made holy by him, okay, and we're set apart to be light in a dark place. And so this morning... I'm going to talk about one of my biggest passions in life, all right? I'm going to let you out of here a couple minutes early this morning. I'm not letting you out of here so you can beat other people to IHOP, all right, and get your breakfast early. All right? I'm going to let you out a few minutes early to be a part of the greatest mission on earth, all right? I think a lot of times, you know, we glorify a lot of, and there's a lot of great missions going on, and I, you know, uh, there's a lot of great fundraisers going, a lot of places you can give your time, talent, and money. I get that, okay? But one of the ones that I feel like doesn't get glorified, it's, it's kind of less glamorous, but probably in my mind is the most important is the local church. The local church is what Jesus handed to his disciples who planted churches in local communities that passed the truth of Christ on from one generation to the next in community okay, built communities of people, and they passed on the, the truths of Christ. And so I am very, very passionate about the local church. I'm very passionate about the local church called Coastal Community Church, all right, the one in which I pastor. And um, I want to tell you something. We don't function without many, many people that I'm going to call heroes, all right, and that's our volunteers. These are people that dedicate countless hours to trying to make Jesus famous in this community, thousands of volunteer hours. In fact, when I came up here this morning at about 7.15, there was probably 30 to 40 people already here serving this morning before I got here because they're serious about making Jesus famous in this community, okay? And so, 
Here's what I want to challenge you. I'm not getting, letting you out of here early just to walk out those doors unless you got to go, okay? Everybody's got one of these. We tried to give one per family, okay? But on your way out, what I want you to encourage you to do is our ministry fairs, a lot of opportunities and places that you can serve to make Jesus famous in this community through this mission and this ministry of Coastal Community Church. I can guarantee you there's a spot for you, all right? Maybe, you, maybe you'll walk around a little bit today and get some names and faces, but you're not sure where you fit, and you want to take this home with you. This gives you, this is a great, comprehensive book of many of the ministries at Coastal where disciples, followers of Christ are ministering to make Jesus famous right here in the community. Okay? Now, we got a couple things coming, okay, too, that I want you to be aware of and be praying about and thinking about. Not only do we want you to serve in a ministry of Coastal, next week we want you to be in a small group, okay? We want to develop authentic followers of Christ. We do that in three ways. How do we do that, church? Remember, connect, which is come to corporate worship. What's number two? Grow, which is be in a small group ministry. So if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to sign up for a six-week small group next week and serve. And we want you to serve in a ministry and a mission of Coastal. So we've got both of those coming up, all right? We've got this week's ministry, next week's small group, and in a couple weeks we're going to introduce you some of the missions of Coastal that you can be a part of as well, okay? And so we're not trying to bombard you, but we do want your life to be poured out as an opportunity to minister. So I want you to find a place as you get head out this morning to minister at Coastal Community Church. Visit the booths, give you a few extra minutes, and do that, okay? If you're not sure, take a look at this book. Man, there's a lot of other opportunities you may not even find out there where you can pour out your life as an offering and service to Christ in the ministry and mission of this church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're on mission. And Jesus prayed for you. I left them in the world. And Father, I want you to be with them as they're on mission. Let me encourage you. Be a part of the mission of this local church, Coastal Community Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for Jesus' prayer over us. I didn't even really get to, God, the, how humbling and awesome it is that you would leave the high task and calling of making Christ famous to the likes of us. God, it is awesome. And Father, I pray, I want to thank you for the volunteers of Coastal Community Church. God, this church does not function without people taking this calling seriously, this mission seriously, their ministry seriously. Thank you for the many, many people in this body that serve you. God, I want to pray for the person right now that as I'm talking, your spirit's kind of, not, kind of work, working on their hearts, God, drawing them and saying, and they're thinking, you know what, I, I need to serve somewhere. God, there are people that they need to touch with ministry, with service. And I pray as they sign up, as you lead and you guide them to a place to serve, that it's not just checking a box, God. It is an opportunity to invest in other people to make Jesus Christ famous. And so, God, I pray that you would use Coastal and its ministry and its mission to make Christ famous and to fulfill the prayer of Christ over us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I want you to know we're not after your money. Um, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. Okay, If you're a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. We call that a Connect card. If you would fill that out, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning, you need some prayer. You have some prayer needs. We always have one of our prayer leaders up here. Uh, you'll, they're kind of designated by wearing a purple shirt. They usually sit right near the front. And you can come during the last song. You can come at one of the services is over. And then don't forget on the way out, investigate some of the ministry opportunities that are available to you. And uh, we'd love to take part in the ministry of Coastal Community Church. Jared.